Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Career. I'm your host, Jennifer Ong, and in this podcast, I interview people who have taken a leap of faith and pursued an alternative career path in Asia. Before I get started with today's episode, if you are feeling unfulfilled and unhappy at your corporate job, but you're not quite sure what else you'd want to do in your career, I do have a couple of slots open to my one-on-one career coaching program where I help you pivot from a perfect on paper job to a perfect for you career. So if you're interested, feel free to send me a message via Instagram or LinkedIn. Links are in the show notes to today's episode. All right, let's get into today's episode. Today is part two of the episode with Nellie Wartoff, the founder of Tiger Hall. Tiger Hall is a social learning platform that allows you to learn from experts in the corporate world. If you haven't yet, Go check out part one where we did a deep dive into how to fundraise as an early stage startup and find out how Nellie managed to get a million dollar check without even having a minimum viable product ready and how she managed to get Sequoia on her cap table. There's a ton of amazing gems in that episode, so definitely go listen to that first. All right, so in today's part two of my conversation with Nellie, She shares her journey about why she decided to move from Sweden to Singapore, how she pivoted her career from recruiting into entrepreneurship, and of course, how she built Tiger Hall from scratch. All right, I'll hand it over to Nelly now to share her story. All right. We spent a lot of time talking about fundraising, but I think it was super insightful to learn all of this from you because, you know, you you have obviously been very successful in this process, but let's um, zoom forward a little bit um, and talk a little bit about, you know, when you launched. So at this point in time, you had a team of people who were creating content, getting other, or I guess you did a lot of like partnerships, right? You would bring uh, a lot of experts in, in the corporate world into, uh, into Tiger Hall and create content for Tiger Hall, right? Yeah, we have influencers that are uh, that was creating some of that content as well. How did you convince them to create content for Tiger Halt? Do you pay them for for you know creating the content for you guys, or is it really more they want to give back and so they're happy to do it? So it started with my own network. So I would say the first fifty or so influencers were people from my own network. So it was a mix of people I had met throughout this networking process when I was fundraising, um, and also people I knew from my recruitment days, former clients, people that I knew through different connections, and so on. So the first fifty was my own network that I invited, um, and I hosted them, and we I interviewed them for podcasts and power reads and so on. So it was very much part of the content creation process to also learn that and then after that so we actually paid them in the beginning so we had a spotify type of model that was based on how many people are listening to your podcast or reading your power read or watching your video and then you get royalties um, but what we realized and what the thing francis told us is that i mean don't pay me <laughs> you don't have to send me these like 60 dollars as royalties and I mean, most of them are making more than ample money a month if you're a senior executive in a large enterprise. So the money for them was almost more of a hassle because then it created this whole like conflict of interest and they had to disclose it and they had a second source of income, like even if it was just like $60. <laughs> so it proved a bit useless. And also actually it meant that we then said that your time is valued at $60, which is not true at all. I mean, their time is thousands of dollars an hour. So it also kind of became a wrong value 
perception, like a value brand perception. So, so we stopped paying them. And uh, the reason most of them do it up until today is one is personal branding. So that's huge. Um, I mean, anyone can write a LinkedIn article, but you need to be exclusively invited to do a Tiger World podcast. So it's invitation only. It's you get to be part of this network, global network of really successful and interesting people. And uh, so the personal branding is huge and you get posted on social media and you get visibility to our user group, which are global leaders. Like we have over 100,000 people that come in every week and listen to these leaders. And that's a high quality audience working in large corporations all the way, I mean, all levels of seniority, many of them being managers and above all the way up to the C-suite. So it's a very good audience to get exposure to. So that's number one for many of them. Number one for many of them is also the giving back. So many of them are just like, believing in the platform, they love what we do, they see the need for this. And some of them are at a point where like, oh, I've only been a CEO my whole life. Like, how am I contributing to the next generation and giving back and sharing some of my knowledge and what I've learned? And that's a big motivator as well. And then the third is how they get connected to each other. So they actually get to be part of this network. They get to um, like meet each other and expand their network in that way. Uh, but personal branding or giving back tends to be the biggest reasons. And then, of course, if we take their time for like mentorship sessions or live streams or things where we actually take their time in more of a like them speaking to to people, then we do pay them for that. So there is a payment component for those live elements, too. Got it. Got it. So, you know, you had built the app, you worked hard, built the app, created the content and you were ready to launch. How did you go find the the customers? That's a very good question. Um, it was a mix of it's a mix of everything. Like some of it was Facebook ads, which didn't work very well. Um, quite a lot of it was guerrilla. That was like we were leaving like letters to my younger self out in like all the WeWorks and random locations and around Marina Bay Sands in Singapore. So people would find these like letter to my future self. Like I wish I had taken more time to learn and develop and upskill, or I wish I had had the confidence to change my career when I wanted to. And a lot of these like messages to my younger self. Um, so that was a guerrilla campaign that we did that actually worked really well. And then we infiltrate a lot of communities. So we partnered with communities who had the audience that we wanted to get to. Um, so I remember one of them was Lean In, for example, that had like women who were ambitious in their careers. Um, we partnered with some like university groups initially that had people like alumni groups. It was all of these like smaller communities where we could tap in and usually do an event and say like, hey, like you can come and uh, and meet this person. Like we would bring in a thing so they would come and listen to that person. And then they would download Tiger Hall during that event as well. Mm -hmm. So communities was actually a huge part of it. And then as part of the product, we also did lunches and dinners. So when you were a subscriber, you got to have lunch with these Thinkfluencers, you got to have dinner with these Thinkfluencers. So that was a huge draw too. And we got people in through those dinners. And then it, a lot of it was like word of mouth. So these people telling their friends and so on that they were on it um, and social media. But the biggest thing was really community. Mm, got it. And for you, did you have like a number in mind? Like for you to consider this like a successful launch where you're like, hey, I need to bring X number of um, clients in. Otherwise we need to pivot into something else. Like, cause at that point you hadn't really validated if the solution was, was the right solution for you, right? So at the back of your mind back then, were you worried that like, hey, maybe we need to bring in X number of, 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 um, of, of subscribers or users 
Uh, otherwise, we need to pivot and change into doing something else. I did. I did have a daily number, so a daily number of downloads and subscribers and so on that we completely missed. <laughs> we were very far off on hitting the. And I always set very ambitious targets as well, but we were very far off. Um, but what we did notice was that the people who did download and the people that we did get to, they loved it. So they spent so much time on it. I mean, it was like two, three hours at some point that people averaged on the platform every week. And many of these were logging in every day and they were listening to content every day. And they were like consuming, like there was one actually that consumed the whole library. They're like, wow. Listen to everything that's on the library. And then of course we, we publish new content every day, but she was like, really, whatever was new, she listened to it. So she just wow. like daily. So we had a lot of user love. Um, we didn't have a lot of scale. And um, I think in hindsight, I think B2C is really hard. Um, I have a lot of respect for people who run consumer businesses. I think it's really tricky to get individual people to pay for things. Um, and especially in the space that we were in learning, like that's very much a vitamin more than a painkiller. And if you look around you and look at what your friends are spending money on and like what individuals spend on, like besides the rent and utilities and stuff just to like have a roof over your head it tends to be mostly food travel and entertainment mm -hmm. like those tend to be the categories for discretionary spend um and clothes and, and so on but it's not it's not really like subscriptions for learning that people spend a huge amount of money on and what we realized also is that actually most people just want to work nine to six and go home they don't give a shit about their career and wanting to learn and develop. So, um, so that was also a reality that we hit. And when we expanded to Malaysia and to India, it was the same thing. Like we had super strong product market fit and user love with these, especially ambitious mid-level managers. Like they really loved the product. Um, but it was really hard to get the ones that were not ambitious, not interested in their career um, and getting to scale. And most of all, it was expensive. Like acquiring users for a B2C app is quite expensive. Um, and if you think of like Facebook ads, Google ads, like it's a lot of money that can just go down the drain of ads. So when we started getting enterprises on board, and this was also the influencers, the senior business leaders that were on the platform, they were like, hang on, like, I want to buy this for my team. Like, can we have this for my company? And like, this would be a great learning tool. Like we have so crap learning platforms in our company, we should have Tiger Hall instead. So that's how that transition started to happen. And we actually did both for a while. So we never quit B2C. And we still have B2C today. Like we still have individual users. You can just download it on App Store, Google Play. You can subscribe. Like we still have that part of the business. And for a while, we did both as a go-to-market model for like five months or so. And then I realized like this is just, right. we have 15 people on the team and we're running two go-to-market models. Like it's more than enough to try and figure out one go-to-market model. So that's when we decided to, to drop B2C as an active go-to-market motion that we focused on and just double down on B2B. Um, and the reason for that was large contracts, large customers. We got to scale much quicker. So if you think of going to one enterprise and we would sell like a thousand licenses and they would roll out to like a thousand managers across Asia Pacific, that scale, we could get to that through like three or four meetings with this customer, as opposed to doing all of these small community events and running ads and like doing different things in B2C to try and get to a thousand users. That would take us 
longer and spend more money to get to a thousand than just going through the enterprise route and get the employer to pay for it and then the employees to use it. So that ended up being a much better go-to-market motion for us. So that's when we dropped the B2C and just double down on B2B. Got it. And so for that, then the company just pays like a subscription fee. Yeah. Like it's very similar to like maybe like a calm or um, headspace where you just pay a monthly fee. So you can pay a monthly fee as an individual in your B2C model, or you basically sell like a packet of a thousand and then you char- just charge the enterprise for for like a um, thousand users, for example. Yeah, exactly. So it's monthly. If it's B2C, it's uh, $29 a month. And if it's B2B, it's $300 per year. So, mm. so that's how we charge the licenses. And how do you guys differentiate from a LinkedIn learning? Ooh, in a lot of ways. <laughs> People who have used both say it's a very, very clear and big difference. Mm. Um, and the things that they usually mention, and there are many people who have in enterprises who have replaced LinkedIn Learning with Tiger Hall. So actually LinkedIn Learning is one of the most common tools that we replace that enterprises kick out and they go with Tiger Hall instead. Um, and the reasons for that, what we hear from the users is it's real, like Tiger Wall is real. It's like you're being a fly on the wall, you're listening to these real executives, it's real case studies, it's real stories. It's not this like stiff, usually old white man somewhere in the US with a plant in the background talking like, hi, today we're gonna talk about leadership development. And people go like, why would I listen to you? <laughs> what is this video? So the content is a huge difference. And I mean, I was out, when I was out jogging last night, I was listening to Sonia Gupta, who's the managing director of Accenture for Southeast Asia. And she was talking about case studies like Grab in Southeast Asia. She spoke about L'Oreal in China, like how they had solved certain problems. And it's just so much more real. And she was walking through her framework for how she asked the right questions to get to a problem. And that's much more real than sitting and watching a video like leadership is about three things. One, two, three. So just super stiff content on LinkedIn learning in many of these platforms. So that's one. The second thing that comes up a lot is how much easier it is to use Tiger Hall because it is very much like using Instagram. Like you're always logged in. You can just open the app. You click something. It plays. It's podcast. You can use it. I use it when I exercise a lot, um, when I'm on the train, commuting, on the bus, when I travel, on a flight. Like it's so easy to just bring up wherever you are. So that leads to a lot higher usage. Um, And then the third is actually that it's global. Like I think people are a bit tired of this American-centric approach that many of these learning platforms have because they are from America. And I mean, that's all fair and well. But if you live and work in Asia, I don't think you want to learn from someone who has lived in a suburb of Chicago their entire life. Mm-hmm. Like you want to learn about this region, these markets, how to get ahead here, how to sell in Indonesia. Like all of these topics are not there on the global platforms. And that's what we increasingly hear from our enterprise customers as well. And interestingly, also from our U.S. customers. So our U.S. customers actually love that Tagol is global because they've always gotten this feedback when they roll out a LinkedIn Learning or similar. People in Asia go like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> this, is, this is not applicable to this part of the world. And when you can roll out something that actually has influencers, leaders, knowledge from Southeast Asia, from India, from Japan, from Peru, from Canada, from the UK. Like if you roll that out to a global audience, which you usually have in large global enterprises, suddenly you get a lot better response than if you roll out a hundred thousand videos by old white men outside Chicago. That that just doesn't work in today's world. So those are the top three that our users tell us why 
they like Tiger Hall more than LinkedIn Learning. That's amazing. I'm interrupting my very own episode to let you guys know about my career coaching program that's designed to help you go from lost and frustrated with your corporate job to living and crushing it in your dream career. So if you're feeling unfulfilled, despite having that perfect, prestigious, high-paying job, or if you're someone who's great at chasing and acing other people's dreams but have no idea what your own dreams and goals are, well, today you're in luck. I'm sharing my three-step framework to help you find your passion and get career clarity. If that sounds like something you would want, check out today's show notes to download the free guide now. All right, back to the episode. And so what's next, I guess, for, for Tiger Hall? You know, you guys have pivoted away from, you know, primarily B2C focused to, you know, B2B, more enterprise base. Um, and you mentioned also that a lot of your customers are now based in the U.S., um, what's kind of the next stage for you guys, the next stage of growth? What are you thinking? So the U.S. right now is a huge focus and how fast we're growing in the U.S. and, and getting U.S. customers on board and a lot of these large global enterprises. Our customer base is almost exclusively Fortune 500 firms, so large global companies headquartered usually in the U.S. or sometimes Europe. Um, so, so growth there is is a huge thing. This year, we're also doubling down on social a lot. So we are a social learning platform. And social learning means learning from other people, together with other people, based on human experience, all of these like real experiences, what have others experienced, learning from them and so on. And that's something we're doubling down on this year from a tech perspective as well. So if you think of the way you're social on WhatsApp, Instagram, like bringing a lot of that into the platform as well. And we already have like you go on trails together with others, you discuss, you reflect together with others. Mm -hmm. We have a feed. So in the app, you have a feed of what your friends are doing, what they're reflecting, what they're learning. So all of that is there. But there are many small things that we want to double down on and bring that social out even more. And that also goes with the influencers. So after you've listened to a podcast, you can ask a follow up question. So like, hey, like, this is what I thought, or like, do you have an answer to this? So like, like any follow-up question that you want to ask after the podcast. So that's also a, um, a big thing that we're doubling down on. And the third thing that is big for us this year is our social mobility focus. Um, so we're launching a Tiger Hall Foundation, which is for people who um, who could who could get access to Tiger Hall and actually have that as a meaningful part of their career that might not otherwise get access to Tiger Hall. So we're partnering with a lot of organizations to help them to get ahead in the working world or increase employability and help others get ahead. So the social mobility focus from a, I don't want to say CSR, but like partnering angle, um, that's also a huge focus for us this year. And um, as you were, and that's that's so cool, and I can't wait to see um, the sort of stuff that you guys you guys are coming uh, that you guys have coming up. Um, cool. So I guess um, moving on to just the last uh, um, the last part of of the interview, which is just asking you a couple more questions around um, you know um, your your personal your personal life and and your personal journey in in you know your career and also in building Tiger Hall. Um, so you know, we, if, if you could go back in time, what do you think you would tell yourself? And what do you think you would tell your younger self about the journey ahead? What advice would you give her back then? I would tell her to enjoy it. That That's something I'm still focusing on. And I still do a lot. Like I, I have this intense feeling that life is very short. 
and I have this intense feeling that I might die young. Like <laughs> that's how I feel like every day, and uh, and that brings a lot of enjoyment and appreciation for the people I'm able to meet, the things I'm able to do, and just like appreciating life. And um, and I, I would tell her that like make sure to continue to enjoy it and just double down on enjoying your life because it's so easy to get caught up in I need to do that I need to finish my to-do list I need to call this person I need to be a good friend and like that it's so easy to get caught up in your to-do lists and I think that ruins life for many people I mean who cares about a to-do list at the end of the day like you're here and you're living one life and I have this mantra that is this too is life so whatever I'm doing like if I'm bored in a meeting or I'm sitting in in a taxi in a way to a, a meeting or something and I'm just like I, I remind myself that this is also life so this too is life is something that I tell myself to be able to enjoy life and actually get get the most out of it and not don't postpone happiness like that's the biggest thing that I've learned as well and I learned because I was always chasing, especially when I was younger, I was like, I wanted to get out of school, then I wanted to get out of university, and I wanted to be done with this, I wanted to get to work, and then I wanted to get promoted, and I wanted to lead a team, and I wanted to start my business, and I was just like chasing, 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 and a little bit thinking that only when I get to, when I get there, then everything will be great, but it's always the next, next thing, right, and I think that's a very classic thing that many people fall into, and I had a little bit of this experience then when I I mean, when I started Tiger, it was about like getting to launch and getting to customers and getting to the first round and so on. But then I had this experience a couple of years ago where I was like, you know, like, yes, there's still a lot more that I want to do, but I've achieved so much of what I set out to do. Like it's, I wanted to run a business in Asia, in education, and I love what I do. I enjoy every day. I love my team to death. I love working with our customers and I was like, now is actually a time where I could actually just enjoy what I'm doing and not just chasing. Um, so I think it's important to not postpone happiness. And what I would tell my younger self is also when I was chasing, like also in, enjoy the things that you had then. Like now, I mean, after turning 30, like a lot of my friends have kids and families and other commitments and things like that. Like really appreciate it. If you're 21 and listening to this, appreciate the girl moments you have that when you're like eight girls going to Bali and party for a weekend <laughs> all of those moments will even though you feel like I had this feeling like oh I'm so young I want to be a senior leader and I want to manage a team and like all of those career things I sometimes forgot to enjoy my youth and all of this like how how fun it is to have those extremely close friend connections and I still, to this day, like I have a big social network and a lot of friends, but I also recognize that for actually a majority of them, their families are now more important, understandingly. Of course, they're. I hope they care more about their kids than they care about me. But 10 years ago, it was us. It was like, we were so close. We did everything together. And the things you share, I think especially as women, the things that you share with your girlfriends, you just have such a strong bond. So enjoying more of those small things, is probably what I would say and enjoying just being young and like having all that future ahead of you instead of worrying about the future ahead of you enjoy the fact that you still have so much ahead of you and I still have so much ahead of me I mean I'm 30 so I can't really I sound like I'm 60 years old <laughs> I still have a majority ahead of me but I, I and I remind myself to think like that now like enjoying my youth enjoying being strong when I exercise and looking good when I go out and like all of these things like enjoy that because that's going to disappear I think a lot faster than many people think 
But I think that that's truly incredible uh, that you've been able to accomplish so much and uh, you're only just 30, which is amazing. Um, but I think it's also a really good reminder, I think, to be present and for all these small moments in life, right? Because I think a lot of people think and define their lives by their accomplishments, the things that they do. And so much of life is the in-between moments, the moments where you're just, you know, sitting around watching TV or, you know, hanging out with a friend, making dinner, whatever it is, that's actually the majority of your, of your life. Um, and so just being present in those moments and not just, you know, be on your phone all the time, checking emails while your friend is there, you know, um, <laughs> waiting for you and uh, you're only half present in, in that hangout. So yeah, I think that that's something I really resonate with as, as well. And a really good, helpful, helpful reminder. Um, and so one last question for you, which is a question I ask all of my guests on the podcast, which is, you know, in the Western world, they always say, you know, follow your passion and the money will come. But in Asia, it's very much focus on your career, focus on making money and, you know, keep what you love to do as something on the side. So now that, you know, you have a foot in both halves of this world, you know, in the Western world and in Asia, how do you approach this and what do you think about this? So I think follow your passion is one of the most rubbish advices. I hate this advice and I hate when people say it because most of all, I think passion is so badly defined. Like what is passion? Like, I don't know what passion is. Like I, I know what I deeply care about. I know what I think is really important for the world. Like, but passion, like, I find everyone has their own definition of passion. So I think that's a bad advice. I also think what happens many times when people so-called follow their passion is they lose their hobbies because they make a hobby a business. And one of the things I'm very clear on, especially if you're thinking I should start a business in dogs because I love dogs or whatever it might be. Don't do that because you love dogs. Do it because you want to build a business. Because the truth is that you will get very far from dogs the moment you start the business your life will be emails and zoom calls and building a team and recruitment and investors and like it's all those things like let's say i started tagle because i love podcasts yes i could listen to podcasts but listening to podcasts is a minuscule part of my life and days building tiger hall mm -hmm. so i think follow your passion like keep your hobbies outside like don't don't make your hobbies your work. That is the point. Because if you make your hobbies your work, then you're going to end up with no hobbies and you're, you're just going to lose the thing you have outside. So for example, me, like I love tennis. I love surfing. I would never start a business in tennis or surfing because I want that to be my outside of work. But do things that you care about, I think is important. Mm -hmm. So I don't call it passion, but work on things that you think are truly making the world a better place and that you think would move the needle for someone somewhere. So for me, that's social mobility. So social mobility is not a hobby for me. It's not like, I wouldn't even call it a passion. I would just call it something I deeply, deeply care about. And that is a huge concern for me and that I want to improve in the world. And that's why I chose to build a business around that. I really love that. It's almost like follow a cause or follow a problem or fall in love with a problem that you want to solve in this world. Yeah. And then go build a career around that. Yes. Rather than rather yeah. than um actually following like a hobby or or an interest because then takes that takes the joy away from that hobby and and that passion and that interest. It does. It does. And this could be in the corporate world as well, right? You can think that I mean think like I mean many people think impact investing for example is very important or like recruitment I had the same feeling about recruitment I, f I found recruitment incredibly meaningful because it was so clear 
black and white that this person found a job and they're in a better place and they enjoy their lives more because of I put them in that role. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to be passion and things that you're like massively like creative about and definitely not hobbies, but just things that you care about and that you can see that this is actually doing something meaningful even though i don't really like the word meaning either but something you care about that's what i come back to like what do you care about in the world and actually one last question i have for you which is any tips around recruiting because that's such a big part of building a business um and you have so much experience there as well what would you share as you know just a handful of tips for for people who are struggling or just want to learn more about how to recruit better Oh, that could be a whole podcast. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I could do a whole podcast on recruitment. <laughs> uh, how to summarize that, my God. No, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so many things to say. I mean, <laughs> I, and yeah, like, there are so many things like when you look at resumes, when you interview, like some of my top favorites that I can share if I really have to break it down um, or summarize it quickly. One is when you interview, think more about how the person behaves around the interview than what they actually say in the interview because everyone can give a good answer but if you see that this person that they're showing up on time they're great with making small talk they're great with like making a great first impression they follow up they write emails they send you an agenda they take responsibility like those things actually tell you more about the person than if you ask them in the interview are you good with follow-ups? Do you take responsibility for clients? <laughs> you see more how people behave outside of the interview. So I go a lot on that. Um, and then for resumes, I just did a LinkedIn post last week on why I reject resumes. And a lot of that is around, I mean, like formatting is one thing. Um, like if they job hop is another thing, like you usually can't, if someone has changed jobs every year for 10 years, they're going to leave you in a year or two. Like trends continue and everyone can job up once or twice. Um, but if it continues five, 10 times, it's not going to stop. And I got a lot of pushback on that, by the way. So I know people have very different mm -hmm. opinions on that. But my opinion is that if you job hop, you will continue to job hop. And uh, if it's more than three, four, five times. And regarding, like, not not regarding layoffs or, um, like, if uh, acquisitions and stuff like that, that's separate. But just changing jobs on your own will, you will likely continue to do that. Um, so those are, like, top two that I would say. And then culture fit like one thing that i thought of a lot when i recruited for tywell especially the first team but i still do now is that it's more important that they get along with each other than then they get along with me so uh, like of course they should have a difficult relationship with me and i don't think anyone does but it's more important how they like working each other with each other so it's been many times where we always do i mean we always do interviews with several people in the business not just me of course but it's been many times where i have preferred a candidate but the team prefers another one, I always, always go with the one that the team prefers. Mm -hmm. And this has happened for senior leadership roles, like, like senior roles that are like heading teams in the business. If the team prefers that candidate, I go with that one because they're going to work much more closer together. They're going to spend more time together. So I, I like, of course, it has to meet my hygiene criteria that this could be a good person and do the role well. But team preference and team culture and enjoying working to together is huge because that is what makes people stay also people stay in a business because they enjoy working with their colleagues it's a great culture so fixing that or building that through recruitment is a huge thing and a huge part of my job is is building that culture with having people that enjoy working together 
Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Nelly. This has been so, so, so insightful chatting with you uh, today. Um, and, you know, any parting thoughts or, or last words you want to share with our, our audience? I think just do what, what you want to do. Like life is very short. That's what I always come back to. Like life is too short to doubt yourself, to think that you can't do things, to doubt your skills, to limit yourself, to think that you need a business plan. Like life is too short. Like just start, just do things, just try. Like the worst thing that can happen is that you have to go back to some job or like in my case, when I moved to Singapore, the worst case that could happen is that I had to move back to Sweden. Like, not too bad. The worst thing that could happen when I left recruitment, I can come back to recruitment, like not too bad. So it's usually not as bad things that can happen as we make it seem to be. So just try it, just do it and do things that you care about. I think that's the most important. Amazing. And um, yeah, thank you so much, Nelly, for all of your time. And I, I really, truly learned so much from, from today's podcast. Uh, so really appreciate you sharing so openly with us and wishing you and Tiger Hall all the best. Thank you. And thank you for having me. And there you have it, my conversation with Nelly. Here's a couple key takeaways that I got from today's conversation. Number one, following your passion is garbage advice. Instead, focus on your purpose and your mission. If you purely follow your passion, you might actually end up turning your hobbies into work and start to resent your hobbies. Instead, if you focus on purpose, this will be the field that gets you through all the tough times that inevitably comes in entrepreneurship. Number two, don't postpone happiness. Don't get too caught up in the to-do list and take the time to enjoy the process. This is personally one of the biggest lessons that I'm trying to do and I'm trying to incorporate in my own life. I have a tendency to always set goals for myself and try to achieve bigger and bigger goals. And along the way, I often forget to celebrate the wins and celebrate how far I've come along. So that's definitely something that I'm trying to do better myself as well. Number three, Nelly had a couple of tips on recruiting. When interviewing, Focus on how people behave rather than what they say. Look at whether or not they take responsibility. Do they follow up when requested? Do they come prepared with an agenda? These are the signs that will tell you more about the person than what they say. Another tip she had around recruiting was when looking at resumes, if you see that this person has been job hopping every couple of years, it is very likely that they will do the same at your company. And lastly, focus on hiring people that can get along with the team that they're hired for, not people that can get along with you. Because ultimately, they are much more likely to be working with each other than with you as the founder. And lastly, don't forget the power of your own network when you're starting your business. The first 50 creators on the Tiger Hall platform were all from Nelly's own network from her time in recruiting and fundraising. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Control-Alt-Career. Check back again in two weeks for my conversation with Felix, the founder of ADP List, a company that's focused on democratizing mentorship and has over 16,000 mentors for free for you to talk to on their platform. So make sure you're subscribed to my podcast so you don't miss this episode with Felix. 
And if you liked today's episode, I'd love it if you shared with two friends who aren't feeling that great about their corporate job and need a little extra inspiration. And of course, if you're interested in getting some career coaching, feel free to reach out to me or follow me on Instagram or on LinkedIn for more information. You can get the links to my social media pages in today's show notes. All right, as always, thanks so much for tuning in and I'll see you guys back here in two weeks. Thank you.